This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. To receive a free copy of Bob Buford's classic book, Halftime, moving from success to significance, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co-founder and co-host. Here's this week's interview by my partner, John Ramstead. All right, today on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, uh, this is going to be a great episode, and we have Peter Dean on today. Welcome, Peter. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Now, you and your wife, Molly, uh, Molly Shepard, yes. um, you founded uh, a, a pretty phenomenal company. Actually, uh, you founded Leaders by Design, and she started the Leaders Edge, and then when you got married, you merged everything together. And yeah. you, you work with, you do you guys do executive coaching, you work with some of the, I mean, companies all over the world, very large corporations. And I know you've uh, been a lecturer at, at the Wharton School and University of Pennsylvania and done some incredible work. But one of the things that's fascinating to me, uh, Peter, is everything that you've done, and we were just talking before we got started, is really rooted in the brain science and some of the things that are behind what's going on in um you and Molly just wrote a uh, a very interesting book called Bullyproof Your Workplace, and it's about strategy. You know, a lot of us, we have those difficult people, those people that w sometimes we think are sociopaths. When I work with, you know, large organizations, both uh, in the private and public sector, you know, this is something that comes up all the time. And, and what I found, Peter, often is we don't have a lot of the tools or some of the understandings or the equipping to really, you know, develop relationships or, or handle some of these situations. But before we kind of dive into that, I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, your story and your journey, what led you to, you know, what you and Molly are doing today. Well, Molly uh, and I are married and we've been married for about 12 years now. So it's one of those modern marriages where everybody keeps their last name. Yep. And uh, between us, we have four children, uh, um, uh, three of whom are, are pretty much grown and have children of their own. And uh, one is headed off to college in a few years. So uh, soon we'll be empty nesters to some extent. And uh, uh, Molly's uh, story is interesting, too. She's, she's always been interested in leadership. As uh, she started her own career, she's been an entrepreneur and uh, has created a, a, founded a company called Manchester years ago, which was a very successful outplacement firm for uh, those years in the 80s and 90s when companies were downsizing large numbers of people. Her organization would come in and um, make that transition as painless as possible. And I have been interested in leadership from a different uh, capacity, um, uh, mostly um, started off in the military. For, um, after my bachelor's degree, I was drafted in 1968. And uh, for my military tour, they sent me to Germany, and uh, I had a chance to work with some real uh, highly placed uh, officers in the military. Uh, because I was in military intelligence and did interviews for background investigations uh, that uh, would grant a security clearance or not. Uh, 
so I would be interviewing pretty highly placed people. I was in a suit. It was it was almost like a civilian job in the military. Yeah, uh, I, I remember and, when I went through that process to get my my top secret clearance and my special my uh-huh. background investigation, and yeah, that was quite a process. It, it is, and a very effective one. They uh, we had some wonderful training at Fort Holabird, Maryland. And it was uh, probably some of the best uh, educational experiences I had, even even already having completed my bachelor's degree. They uh, really believed in experiential learning. And so to learn interviewing and interrogation techniques, they would actually put you into a glass-covered uh, office area and you'd be dealing with actors who were playing the roles of certain people that you need to interview. And and I found the learning just amazing, and the teachers are just incredible. And I guess that inspired me to go on after my military experience to become a professor myself because I was so inspired with the teaching in the military. What, what did uh, you, you learn during that period of time, Peter? Well, I, I think uh, that uh, I had a proclivity towards uh, practice in the sense that... Um, yeah, if it, if it theoretically was interesting to know, but if it didn't work in practice, it really wasn't uh, useful uh, to people. So I, I kind of sided with uh, all the applications there that actually worked in terms of um, helping people lead, uh, helping people accept the responsibility of a security clearance. And we now know that... Um, that's an important thing. Seems like that point is in the news all the time, and so I, you know, it kind of made me more responsible uh, to myself as well. Um, you know, you're representing the company there, and I was doing that in Germany, so it was more in the European theater of the military we have there. Yeah, and so after so, the military, uh, you decided to become a professor. Yes, and uh, through long, arduous, decades-long. Uh, hits and misses, and uh, finally ended up completing uh, a dissertation in leadership at the University of Iowa in uh, 1980, and then uh, went off and uh, became a professor. I I worked for a little time at Rockwell International for two years, running their leadership development program. And so dissertation in leadership, experience at Rockwell actually putting together a week-long program on leadership development and farming that out to all Rockwell's locations. At that time, Rockwell International was Fortune 37, so we were all over the country, and I was bringing that package to many places around around the nation. Uh, and then, um, you know, decided to go back into academe, um, uh, to a number of different universities, teaching uh, MBA programs mostly, uh, and my courses were leadership and ethics and communication. So those are my three research areas, uh, all centered on how that relates to leadership. So it was arduous years, a lot of uh, researching, a lot of work, kind of just understanding myself, what the literature said. And uh, and I did that at Penn State University, the Wharton School, as you mentioned, University of Pennsylvania, Fordham University, University of Iowa, and University of Tennessee. So, 
So those are my universities where I, you know, you had to kind of move around a little bit to uh, move up and uh, finally left academe as a department head and chair at the American College. Uh, again, running leadership development programs. So I think theoretically and in practice, um, you know, I've tried to focus to learn a lot about uh, leadership, but of course, there's always that um, that underlying value of uh, intentionality. I think we uh, learned from Aristotle that intentionality is very important. So people with power that want to lead. Uh, you have to look at their intentionality. Well, yeah, and you talk about, you know, making things practical, you know, being intentional with what you do. Is that what led you um, into building the company you have now and getting into executive coaching? Yeah, I I mean, there was some practical need there, too. Professors aren't paid very much, so you almost have to (laughs) consult. You almost have to consult to make a living and, uh, you know, have a family or whatever. And, um, and so that was kind of why I started uh, uh, in 1986, uh, the Leaders by Design. And it was uh, called Excellence by Design back then, but I changed it because we were, uh, we were doing work with individuals and it, it was, they were all leaders. So it made more sense to call it Leaders by Design. And what does Leaders point. by Design mean? Well, uh, it's, it's, it may come across as mechanical at first, but it quickly uh, means that uh, we take the nature-nurture argument out of leadership development. It is both. Uh, you, you know, it used to be, if you go through some of the theories on leadership way back when, if, you, uh, you know, the great man theory, you know, they had traits of men that indicated leadership. I mean, it got as ridiculous as if they have big calves <laughs> in their physical makeup. That, that means they're a leader. Or if they're very, very, very tall, they're a leader. And, you know, that kind of um, nature argument really has been supplanted now. And we know that we can teach leadership to anybody willing to learn it. So that's that's our approach in the company is that if you really want to move up in a company, first of all, you've got to recognize its responsibility, but but accept the fact that uh, you you can learn it if you're willing to learn it. And that was a big argument for decades, whether leadership could be learned or not, but no one really argues that anymore. Yeah, if you were so just leader, a natural le- leader, right, there was just something about your makeup or your character yeah. or how you were wired that made you a leader. Yeah. So, yep. you, know, you know, before we, we dive into, you know, what you and Molly just put together, what are your thoughts on, you know, people listening right now? What are, what are some of those maybe key foundational pieces that, that we need to learn to become effective leaders? Well, that's that's a wonderful question, and uh, it's kind of the focus of a lot of our coaching. We uh, we really zone in on the interpersonal aspect of leadership, and uh, to kind of honor the intrinsic worth of every individual, and to show respect even if there's conflict in the content in which you're arguing. And in order to do that, you really need some basic skills. And I talk about this in my book, Leadership for Everyone that everyone can be a leader interpersonally uh, if they practice, uh, you know, seven fundamental skills. One is 
um, listening, really non-defensive listening, and putting your stuff aside and being really open to receiving the information from the other person. And if you're doing that, you're also simultaneously being empathetic with them. And then you're also uh, attending to them. And Menninger, one of our greater psychologists in this country, uh, talked about the power of listening and how powerful it is. Uh, and uh, what it does to the other person is it really kind of grounds them in their own reality. It gives them the uh, joy, for lack of a better word, of actually knowing someone else is really listening to their story. Uh, that they're open to that other person. Uh, and it's a real connection. It's a very powerful thing. And uh, so those are the first three qualities we look for. Executives now, you know, are asking for classes on empathy. How, do, how you know, what is that? How do I do that? Is it sympathy? I mean, just clarifying, seeing something through someone else's eyeballs uh, is, uh, and understanding what that is. Uh, is is hot right now. I think a lot of executives are asking for it. And so the the first three skills, listening, uh, empathy, and attending. And then, you know, the, uh, the kind of spells leaders. So that's L-E-A. And then the D really stands for a couple of things, being able to diagnose, being able to detail, and being able to make a decision. And so in order to lead, uh, you have to do those things. You have to analyze, to uh, diagnose, detail, and make a decision. Uh, but that comes after the listening, empathy, and attending part. So then you've spelled out the word lead. Uh, and then we bring in ethics. And, uh, you know, in terms of uh, faith-based understanding, probably the doorway in academe at this point in time, unless you're in a religious studies program, is through ethics because uh, certainly um, there are qualities from, from all religions that, that speak to ethical components. So, uh, you know, we break ethics down into rules, results, and intentionality, as I said before. So then the word lead uh, is L-E-A-D-E, and then R is showing respect during conflict with another person. Conflict is necessary for growth. Uh, getting on, you know, starting on this side of conflict, it doesn't look like it's ever going to get solved, but if you work through it, on the other side of conflict, it's greatly, um, you know, it, it, there's a completely different uh, understanding about it. And uh, then the last one is really speaking with uh, speaking with authority <clears throat> in the sense of uh, uh, aligning your verbal, vocal, and visual components. So, so that spells out the word leaders, and it's the seven essentials, I call them the seven essentials of interpersonal leadership that anyone can practice in a, in a company, whoever is listening now, if you know, in their boardroom or the mailroom, they can have leadership moments where they truly listen, empathize and attend to someone else, you know, make a decision, uh, check its ethical components, and then, you know, show respect and offer through your speaking some uh, some solution. Well, P Peter, you know, you talked about, um, you know, as leaders, uh, and I think how, just how we just operate every day, 
Um, you know, a lot of uh, what we talk about is you know, how to bring our faith into the workplace. And um, I love what you talked about, you know, with listening, empathy, attending, it's really connecting to the unique value of everybody you're working with, whether it's peers, subordinates, or, and I think some of our biggest opportunities are also what I call leading up, you know, the people that you're working for yes. in developing those relationships. And, um, you know, we both see in the, you know, the clients we work with, the organizations we work with, these are skills that, um, especially as, as people get busy, uh, they tend to, uh, be suppressed sometimes. What do you think the, the biggest reason is that people don't actively focus on listening, empathy, and really kind of serving or attending their, their, their folks? Uh, another good question, John. Thank you. Uh, we, we've looked into this uh, in both uh, our, you know, for women and men, and confidence is the big key that we see. If there's a lack of confidence, then uh, there's some of these skills just go out the window. They're, they're not practiced at all, uh, and it's just getting through the day or getting through the meeting or, you know, getting through the process or procedure. But if there's a sense of confidence there, then, um, you know, if, if you're a confident person, you're more liable to say, okay, I can put whatever concerns I have over here. Let me just open myself up to this person through listening empathy, and attending and, and really understand where they're coming from. And, you know, I'm confident enough in my own skin that, uh, you know, I can do that. I mean, to get to that place, I think, is is would really improve the interpersonal relations between people at work significantly <laughs> because uh, just casual walk through companies uh, and we're in a lot of different companies you can you can pick up in the culture you know the demeanor uh, interpersonal demeanor whether it's positive negative or teeter tottering on on the center line. Yeah, you sure can. You can tell as soon as you walk in and talk to a few people go to a meeting and you know a lot of the time how i think about confidence also i think the root behind that and i'd love your thoughts is really uh a lot of it's our self-identity right what we're what we think of ourselves, what we've internalized from what people have said about us through our whole life um maybe some of our our mindsets we've developed our our belief systems and what are some things that people need to start maybe looking at or addressing to because I really think that inner game determines our outer game. So if we want to start working yeah. on that inner game, um, you know, what does that look like for people, Peter? Well, um, you know, I think there's that outer reality and then there's the inner reality and, you know, getting to know yourself. There was an article, I think, in the New York Times or Wall Street Journal this morning about the importance of solitude in your life. Um, uh, it was referencing a a book that's just come out and uh, where executives truly need to seek solitude uh, throughout their week in order to make better decisions and better planning and better strategic networking and so on and so forth. And so I, I, I think the basis is always, uh, you know, inquire within to see, you know, your particular belief system, um, you know, if that inspires you and gives you confidence, then, you know, that's a good starting point. And then realize that, you know, the, the outer is um, the outer. It's it's not everything. Uh, and that connection, I you know, I think um, 
I, I did do a little bit of re- work here before we started our talk. I think uh, John 3, 6 talks about this. Just, well, at least to me, it spoke to me about that. It's like uh, flesh gives birth to flesh and uh, the spirit gives birth to the spirit. And, you know, I just, it's, we feel badly when we walk into a company where everyone is so depressed and it's, uh, oppressed in terms of their productivity and it's always power over other people. And that's, and then when we check the numbers about increased bullying in the workplace, we realized we had an epidemic uh, on our hands uh, because uh, bullying is very contagious. Bullying begets more bullying. And so we wanted to offer some tools for people that are feeling bullied so that they can't maintain that area of solitude or spiritual solitude in their own makeup so that they can perform from a confident basis. And uh, the Bully Proof Fort Place identifies four different kinds of bullies. Uh, oh, and, 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 bully. uh, and something you shared... Uh... Uh, that I think is fascinating because I'm sure everybody listening to this interview is like, okay, I'm th- th- this is the good stuff because you've done some research and more than one in four Americans deals with what they would identify as an on-the-job bully and we're spending mm-hmm. 60% of our time at work. So there's a lot of us mm-hmm. that are we're in situations where, man, we're Sunday night, we're stressed out going to work. Monday morning, we're not excited to drive into the office or, you know, throughout the week. And, um, you know, so when we, so clearly these are, we're working with a leadership or a culture that is not exhibiting some of these seven areas that you just talked about. Um, and yeah, so I'd love for you to share, you know, what, what are, you know, these different types of bullies and then, you know, what do we do in the workplace or we're dealing with people like this to, you know, uh, that is some of the biggest, challenges I hear is, right, you know, how do I in my role even change the dynamics and the culture? So I, I'd love to get into that, too, as as we uh, talk about this also. Oh, sure. Uh, happy to kind of move into that area. The, the thing we are in, you know, it's like we identify with the person who gets in the car in the morning, goes off to work, and just dreads going to work because there's a bully there waiting <laughs> to pounce. And it's usually uh, bullying. The general definition of bullying is uh, the repeated negative demeaning uh, attitude and conversation towards another person. Uh, you know, constants like, uh, you know, death by a thousand cuts. <laughs> um, and, you know, it just kind of accumulates inside the person and it destroys. It, it's oppressive and it destroys any solitude they may have inside of themselves and that's attached to the confidence level they have so a bully's purpose is really to um, significantly diminish the other person mostly because of their own shortcomings but that's another book um, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and the, the thing for okay so once we see that bullying is a repeated attempt to diminish and demean uh, an individual, then what you want to do is understand the different kinds of bullies. And usually we think of a bully as a brute, someone who's just um, very extroverted, uh, has a, um, you know, a yell, screams, curses. We had one 
one person we coached that was complaining about his boss standing up on the conference table, pointing down to them uh, in a very harsh tone of voice with a lot of cursing and all that. Uh, and he thought that was really leading his team, getting his team fired up. When in actuality, he was, you know, everybody's looking at their shoelaces as this guy's on top of the table. So that, that kind of brute uh, is one type of bully and, it's rare, but you know, you, we do have those, and it's usually uh, attached to uh, you know very poor interpersonal skills at the very least. Uh, it's not very drastic. Uh, you, know, you can't even call them skills when interpersonal skills aren't being used. So that's that's one. The other the other one is uh, the narcissist. We we call it. Uh, the first one was the brute. The second one is called the braggart. Uh, the narcissist who just takes the oxygen out of the room, makes it all about themselves. Uh, everything is interpreted with, through their own experience, and they want to dominate through uh, verbal uh, glorification of themselves. And uh, we, you know, it's it's uh, some people uh, we've met managers thinking it was a managerial technique to just talk all the time in the in the meeting at the end of the meeting say, are there any questions? And then they go off uh, not knowing what they're supposed to do. And it, it, it the, But they do go off out of that meeting understanding that the boss is in charge. So the, that narcissism uh, can be very, um, very damaging uh, to other people's ownership of their work. Uh, because it's, the, you know, it's, the focus is on, you know, the self-adoration of this particular person. So that that's the braggart. Yeah, and in those so situations have, too, you, you can work hard. Your team can do incredible on a project, and there there's no affirmation. There's no, you know, uh, recognition coming from the hard work because the that person who's the narcissist is the one taking all the credit, and that can they be do that and completely yeah, demoralizing for a team. Yeah, and you're very right. In, in that chapter on Bragger, we talk about how they take credit for other people's work. Um, and, you know, so that's those are the first two, a brute and a bragger. Those are the extroverted types of uh, uh, bullies. Uh, there, there are introverted types of bullies that kind of uh, work behind the scenes or work through other strategies. One is the blocker, and the blocker, so we, we went for B words here. So Bruce, <laughs> <laughs> braggart, and the blocker. Uh, the blocker just would um, uh, possibly take credit for someone else's work as well, but they would deny any visibility of your work uh, to others higher up in the organization. Uh, if if you're about to contribute something significant, they'll, they'll actually block you in the meeting from saying that. Uh, you know, they want you to be seen but not heard. Uh, and they uh, are usually threatened by you because they usually are hired. People that are hired in uh, have a higher caliber of education and preparation. And so, you know, a 10-year, 15-year manager hires in somebody that's very competent. Uh, their whole purpose becomes blocking. I know at Rockwell International, we uh, had to talk to managers about that. You're not grooming a person to work for you for the rest of their lives. You've got to expect that they can move up in the organization. And when they do move up, because they're so good, people will say, well, where did he or she come from? 
and uh, so you'll get the recognition kind of post promotion. So, so blocking is is something that's very bullying. People use it severely uh, during meetings or you know during the day, and uh, it's one kind of bully. And then uh, so uh, brute, braggart, blocker, and the last one is the belier. And that's probably the most insidious one. It's it's the most uh, it's the one that's based in the most uh, psychological disorder, and in the sense that uh, it's someone that is completely working from a camouflaged front. Uh, they could they could interact with you very pleasantly, but behind the scenes they're setting you up. One of the stories we use uh, actual stories in the book. Uh, the bullyproof workplace is, uh, you know, someone wanted to get introduced to someone else in the company and the person set the person up, uh, who, you know, without giving them any advice that the person, you know, is, you know, if you get 15 minutes, you get 15 minutes, you don't have any more time. And this guy, you know, spent a lot of time talking and so never really got to the point right away. And she, this particular, uh, liar knew that, uh, uh, the meeting, uh, if she set it up like 15 minutes before this guy had another meeting. So he, she knew that there was only 15 minutes there and kind of counted on the fact that the younger person being introduced would kind of blow it and not get so to the point. She, so she set her person up to fail. Yes, exactly that. Wow. Uh, very good. Yeah. And that's that's just terrible because you know when you're working with someone in the company you compete against the competitors not yourself so much and that was uh, i mean you compete against yourselves to get better that's what competition does it and makes you more competent uh but uh, the blier really works behind the scene for, from a selfish point of view and uh you know, uh, that's kind of one story that typifies the sense that, you know, this poor guy did thought he had a friend in this woman as opposed uh, to someone that was a buyer. And so that's, and when you become, another story that, that's the one we really have to give a lot of time to explain is um, someone asked for a recommendation from a former boss and the boss said, absolutely use my name every time. You know, I definitely, I'll be open to phone calls and all that. And it took a couple of different job bosses for this guy to figure out that when they called this guy, he wasn't saying good things. <laughs> and so, you know, he was totally belying the fact that he would give a recommendation. And then when the call came in, he wouldn't do anything but that. Hmm. Uh, now, you had to be careful how he did that. And what this gentleman discovered was, he, when the question came up, oh, would you hire him again? And there was, he purposely, uh, which is a standard question in uh, checking references, uh, he would give a long pause and silence and, and not answer the question. And the other person would interpret that, um, you know, that was a negative, that no, he, he wouldn't hire him again. <laughs> and so that would really deep six the application uh, right there and then. So, so as people are so, listening to this, Peter, and in they're they're kind of uh, maybe relating to one of these different, you know, types how people are operating. 
you know, the in some of the biggest challenges is when somebody who's in one of these modes is in leadership above us, or especially if we're reporting to them directly, whether like on a scale of one to 10, like 10 being really a sociopath, which I think is a very small percentage of people. But, you know, some people have, you know, shades of this, they might be at a two or a three or a five, but it still creates a really challenging situation for us, especially as we're trying to improve and do our work and, Maybe we have a heart. We we love the the company, uh, the mission, our coworkers, but we're dealing with this situation. Um, you know what are you know? Because a lot of the times too, it could be like, well, just leave, get another job. But sometimes it's not always that easy. Um, sometimes it is. But what are some things we can do when we have this situation in the workplace? Well, I think it's uh, it's understanding that you have to stand up for yourself. I think uh, you, you've got to let your um, strength shine through, uh, but, but not get hysterical about it. And in the book, we talk about collecting critical incidents. And I'll describe now what a critical incident is. It has three parts. There's the, the situation. Uh, so you describe in you know two or three sentences the situation. And then you, the next part is the behavior. And so you identify the actual behavior that took place that you perceive as a bullying behavior. And then the consequence uh, made, me, made me throw up, made me, you know, it embarrassed me. Uh, it, it divided me from the other people on the team. That's kind of the consequence. So it's the situation, it's the actual behavior, and then it's the consequence. And to collect uh, five to ten of these with this individual over time. So you're going back to your office, you're starting a file, you're writing on one page, the situation, the behavior that you identified as bullying and then the consequence. And then with five or 10, you can maybe start to see a pattern. Uh, And so then you would script a conversation with the bully. And uh, the bully and that conversation and then scripting would be based on the critical incidents. And then you set up a meeting with the bully. This is where you stand up for yourself. Uh, you know, public place, um, you know, uh, wherever, uh, in, inside the company, outside uh, for coffee, whatever you can arrange. And just uh, very calmly, you know, uh, do a skill we teach in the book, which is stating what is expected and what is observed. And so the beginning part of that conversation and of that script is, you know, when I came here, I was so enthusiastic. I, you know, I just really wanted to do a good job, and I was very proud to be able to work with you. Uh, but that—that that was my expectation. But my observation is that uh, your behavior towards me appears to be bullying in the sense of whatever your behaviors are that you've collected, and to just set up the conversation there and the script. And then we, you know, decision tree kind of the rest of the conversation. If he has this response, you do this. If he has this response, you do that. And so it's a real practical aid, I think, to people that are feeling very oppressed and very bullied in the workplace. And so we want and we believe every time you stand up to a bully, you kind of strengthen your own confidence level. Uh, And you you make that connection with... um, you know, where you draw strength from. 
and 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 uh, many times uh, and we and we've coached people how to deal with bullies uh, we've helped them write scripts uh, you know, sometimes I mean sometimes you make matters worse and so you've got to be ready to deal with that if that's the case other times the bully would back down initially and, and maybe try to self-repair and then you have different responses in between those two where you know that the person would go silent, maybe give you the cold shoulder for a couple of weeks, but the next time they start to interact with you, it's it's uh, not the bullying behavior. It's kind of a different behavior. You've been able to change their behavior with your ability to stand up. And uh, you know, I, I think there are three things you have to. If you're really uh, being tormented by a bully, you there's only three things you can do. Number one, you can leave. Leave the company, get another job, keep the job as long as you can while you're looking for the other job, of course. Uh, the other thing you can do is stand up to the bully like we just described, or you can kind of grin and bear it. And uh, you know, the statistics on bad health as a result of bullying is quite significant. We share that in the book as well. So oh, you're bet. kind yeah, of the, keeping the, it uh, What I call the DWI option, deal with it, uh, can be really yeah. harmful. Creates yeah. a lot of stress, yeah. and you know when we when we're coaching people, you know in this area too, you know coming to somebody in an affirming nature, affirm something about them, and kind of set that tone and share with them. You know, I might I might be wrong, but you know there's something here I really want to share with you, and I think approaching that communication, you know, first of all in love, or you know I care about the person in the relationship, you know, with humility, but I think also in my heart you know, going into a conversation with that, um, with pre-forgiveness, right? There's, you know, really trying to seek <laughs> yes. some understanding in this conversation. And I, I'd love your thoughts on, because w- when somebody's acting a certain way, right? Like you said, the, the guy got up on the table and he's yelling and pointing at everybody and he thinks in his own head, this is motivating. And it really was not. That sounds to right. me like it's more of a blind spot than somebody who's maybe more sociopathic or just doesn't care or, you know, is actively maybe trying to hurt people. And there's definitely people in that category. So how do we help discern whether this might be a blind spot? Because, you know, when we do something and if I'm rude or I'm, I snap at somebody, you know, when I look at my own self, I'm like, you know, I'm like, well, you know, I, I was just having a bad day and I give my, I understand my motive behind that. And, but when somebody does that to us, I think we tend to sign an agenda to it, um, which makes these conversations even more challenging. You know, what, what are your thoughts on how well, to I, discern that? Well, uh, none of us are perfect, myself included. And uh, perfection really isn't in this plane of existence. Uh, so uh, we have to kind of let ourselves off the hook when we lose it, uh, and and that's normal. There's there's normal psychology, and then there's abnormal psychology. And what what you're referring to is is maybe being uh, sometimes we're impatient, sometimes uh, we're not as considerate as we could be, uh, sometimes we uh, just act out on our own and uh, without help from others and. Uh, and not really knowing what we're doing. And sometimes we're a little sloppy on the details. And, um, you know, these are all things that are forgivable for sure. Um, 
and uh, it's part of the normal psyche of individuals working together. You know that they're going to be slips, and it's but it's momentary, and it's 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 one out of uh, you know months of other behavior that's very positive. Um, especially like losing patients is is one thing we see a lot of in leaders because of the pressure that's on them. And, you know, that's normal psychology. We don't consider that bullying. Uh, bullying is, is much more based in disorders mm. uh, where, uh, where it's much more habituated and has become a stronger attachment to that person's personality. And it, it has to be confronted. Uh, I mean, you can confront someone on, that's being impatient on a regular basis, but that's still not bullying. Uh, bullying is really uh, bringing detriment into the equation to another person. Uh, you know, it's not acting out of stress. It's acting to stress someone else. Mm. And that is, you know, it's important to distinguish that. And we believe, and very strongly uh, said this in our book, that uh, they should both uh, those kinds of bullies should not be given power inside of an organization over other people, because it'll first of all bullying will beget bullies. Uh, other people will see, well, that's what I have to do when I'm a manager. I have to be a bully, so they'll learn all the bad things <laughs> on how to do that. And um, you know, I had one person say, well, you know, it took me 20 years to get here, and you know, I don't care if I'm SOB. My bosses are SOBs. That's how I learned, you know, and, and it, that identified the path in the coaching process. Um, you know, we had to detangle that <laughs> understanding about what leadership actually was. And and that's a tougher coaching assignment than someone who just wants to improve their temperament and act more out of confidence and uh, learn some techniques that are going to help them understand other people and and not to get so upset about other people's behavior. Yeah, so it's so not sure. Does that make sense? No, it makes total sense. And so, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way for people to learn more about what you and Molly are doing and and your company? Well, I uh, am very uh, open to receiving uh, information for, uh, by email. Uh, my uh, general email for everybody is my name, Peter Dean, P-E-T-E-R-D-E-A-N, 5000, Peter Dean, 5000, 5000, uh, dot AOL, or at AOL.com. So Peter Dean, 5000, at AOL.com. And uh, people can call me direct as well. Uh, and I try to empty out my voicemail as often as possible. And my number is 610-246-6422. 610-246-6422. Awesome. And, you know, Peter, as we, and also your, your company's website is theleadersedge.com. And uh, there's a dash yes. between the and leaders and edge. Just so, and that'll all be in the show yes. notes so people can just go there and see that. But you know, yes, people... please uh, go to the website first. Thud dash leaders dash edge um, dot com. Definitely, yeah, yeah, dot com, right? And you know what? The book, the bullyproof workplace. If this is something you're struggling with, um, you know, don't don't let it just sit here in this deal with it category. You know, get equip yourself, get some tools, figure out how to, you know, navigate through this and your book, The Bullyproof Workplace, you can get it on Amazon. 
great book for that. And, you know, just as we wrap up, Peter, what are just some final thoughts you'd like to just leave with everybody who's been listening in on this? Well, I, um, I think, you know, the thing we've not talked about is, is faith. And I think that's an important part of leadership, uh, in any event. And, uh, that, um, you know, Christian believing people, you know, have a strength there that, um, for some reason, some people want to persecute. So, you know, kind of not speaking, that's not a place where, you know, I'm not a preacher or anything like that, but uh, I've studied religions, and uh, my spiritual connection to it is Christianity, of course. And, um, you know, there's uh, a lot, even even remembering a a scripture line, uh, it really helps me garner my confidence going into a tough situation. So even if I don't remember it exactly the way it's written, it's, it's tapping into that uh, eternal source. And uh, that's uh, something that, you know, I find I, I do every day. I just, you know, just ask and uh, you shall receive. I love that. Thank you for bringing that in there. Um, you know, because as we approach it from that perspective and also going into these conversations prayerfully and asking for just discernment. And I think also it's a powerful way to even disciple people, especially as we're leading up. It's kind of looking, you know, for some of the, you know, the reasons behind the reason that maybe some of this behavior is there and how can we, you know, serve some people. And what I have found when people have had these conversations, um, and most of these conversations have uh, an unexpected result, which is typically very positive. Um, but often, especially a leader who's rational, uh, appreciates the fact, especially if they w- do want to get better, that somebody maybe has pointed out how their behavior is affecting the team or the organization or individuals. And it's a blind spot that they, they truly were you know, not aware of. And so when you're dealing with people that are rational, you know, you can have a very constructive conversation. And if you're afraid of, like you said, right, the outcomes or the consequences of having a conversation like this, I know you cover that um, in your book, but, uh, you know, it's something, you know, that's a great place to maybe talk to some other people about, you know, when we're working in organizations, um, it's a big goal of ours to eliminate gossip, and that's talking negatively about somebody else who's not part of the problem or the solution. But if you're going with, you know, talking to some people about, um, you know, how to make this better, how to serve this person from a positive perspective, um, you know, that, that can also be helpful too. Maybe it's somebody outside, like working like yourself with a coach. I have a lot of my clients that have brought, you know, mm-hmm. situations like this up to me, but you know, you don't have to just go it alone either. Yeah, no, that's very true. I, and I, I think I always like to think of uh, introversion and extroversion in terms of uh, uh, when a person's faith is really strong, sometimes it's manifested extrovertly, you know, in, uh, in conversation and uh, what what have you. Uh, but sometimes it's manifested intro- in an introverted way uh, where it's uh, leading by example and um, I, I think in, in when you see bullying, you've got to uh, take a stand to do something about it. Uh, when you hear something, sometimes uh, just uh, using silence. Uh, you know, if you hear something that's inappropriate, sometimes just using silence uh, sends the message that it's not appropriate. Uh, so there's different ways of 
uh, meandering through a company, we believe that uh, you can become a strong proponent of decreasing and making the workplace uh, bullyproof uh, through your extroverted and introverted ways of showing your faith. Yes. Well, thank you, uh, Peter. Thank you so much for the work you and Molly do. And thank you for taking the time and sharing that with our audience. I sure appreciate it. And if there's anything I can do for you guys and you know what you're doing, please let me know. I'd love to be part of that. Yeah, likewise. Uh, by all means. Uh, happy. John, thank you so much. I uh, appreciate being on your program. Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. In 1994, Bob Buford penned the book Halftime, moving from success to significance. And in the more than 20 years since then, more than three quarters of a million copies have been sold. It's touched baby boomers in the 90s, and it's now touching the lives of both Gen Xers who are in that midlife season asking, is this all there is? As well as baby boomers who are searching for significance in retirement. To get a free copy of the book, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. And after you read it, if you have any questions, you can have a no obligation one hour of halftime coaching. Eternalleadership.com slash halftime. You can't beat getting a free bestseller. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. <laughs>